Okay, everybody, we'll begin our new seminar on the fear of man. Okay, so upstairs they've, they've been doing Christians in the workplace. Uh, down here we did it, and, and that's like a 12-week course, but we've been doing two six-weekers. Obviously, guidance, which I think was very fruitful. I think we all had a, uh, a really rich time in the, in the guidance course. And now we're going to do the fear of man. So that's why there's a lot of people in here. A lot of man-fearers. And that's the key. That, that's, that's the key. I mean, um, just speaking to Mark there, you know, he says you're, you're going to fear something. And that's true. You're going to fear God or you're going to fear uh, man. Uh, let me just read a text from Proverbs 29. It's on your handout. Be good to track along with me on your handout here. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. So, Heavenly Father, gracious God, uh, we do uh, come to you this morning in fear and trembling, um, humble and contrite before you, but our fear is a, is a, is a fear of reverence and, and love, even a fear of running away from you because you are so good to us and have shown that through your Son, Jesus Christ. I Pray that you would help us in understanding your word and even this concept of the, of the fear of man and that we would grow in the fear of the Lord in this next few weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read to you, and you can read along with me, from Ed Welch uh, and his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. When People Are Big and God Is Small. I mean, the title itself tells you much, but we'll refer to Ed Welch, um, biblical counsellor. If any of you have done any of the CCF uh, courses, or if you've looked at CCEF's website, you'll see Ed Welch on there. Many of the people I've talked to also had an awakening when they saw the controlling power of other people. They awoke to an epidemic of soul called, in biblical language, the fear of man. Although they were avowed worshippers of the true God, below the surface they feared other people. That is not to say that they were terrified by or afraid of others, although sometimes they were. Fear, in the biblical sense, is a much broader word. It includes being afraid of someone, but it extends to holding someone in awe, or being controlled or mastered by people, worshipping other people, putting your trust in people, or needing people. However, however you put it, the fear of man can be summarised this way. We replace God with people. Instead of a biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. That's a pretty good explanation. So we're just going to work through this course week by week and I think as, as was the case with the guidance we'll come back round over themes so that by the end uh, we should have a good grasp of the, of the material. So the first uh, section or the first thing is that where and how do we struggle with the fear of man? So some of us might think when it, you know, fear of man comes to mind you might think standing up front and speaking. I mean that's a terrifying thing for most people. I think they say for most people that's up there as no, number one. But, it, but it, it's not limited to uh, terror of, of public speaking. It extends to every facet of our lives, every interaction with other people. It's happening for me right now. Am I fearing God? Or am I fearing man? Do I care more about your opinion or do I care more about God's opinion and teaching this material faithful to him? So it extends to every facet of our lives and interactions. People we know, people we don't know, people we uh, really care about uh, to have an opinion of us. 
And we see it at work. We see it in our work interactions. We see it when we deal with conflict. We see it in marriage. Um, and we see it in the church here, in the church family. And, and, and a note as well in this introduction is that in different cultures, fear of man is experienced in, in various ways. So in some cultures, your relationship with your family or your ethnic group is a massive deal. So then the fear of man and the experience of shame can take on more of a community orientation. Now Ed Welch asked several questions to help us diagnose our fear of man in this book when people are big and God is small. So I'm just going to read through a few of them. You have them actually marked down uh, on your handout. And I want you to tick or to circle one or two that you might want to think about over the next week. Okay? So have you ever struggled with peer pressure? Peer pressure. Or do you struggle with peer pressure? I'm just going to get my own thing here. You see it up there? It's on the inside page of your first page. Yep, you got it there. Have you ever struggled with peer pressure? Do you struggle with peer pressure? Big thing for, especially for, for teenagers, but I think for, for all of us. What are the adult ways you might experience peer pressure? The pursuit of a great resume, the, the need for a perfect family and to be seen as the perfect family, you know, in, in the church, the house in the right neighborhood, uh, uh, physical appearance. You know, you, you, you need that kind of affirmation from others. Maybe a particular title or what about service in, in the church? Okay, so peer pressure. What about being overcommitted? Okay, do you find it hard to say no? Anyone here find it hard to say no? Used to, my wife there. Yeah, you said no a lot to me in our marriage. <laughs> so, you know what it's like? You, you, you fear other people, so you, you, oh, I don't want to say no, oh yes, and then you overcommit, and now you're stressed. Do you need something from your spouse or co-worker or your friend? A need? Do you ever feel as if you might be exposed as an imposter? Okay, so you've got this kind of facade up and you're, you're walking around and you're just afraid that someone's going to rip that mask off at, and you'll be exposed. Are you always second-guessing decisions because of what other people might think? So you're afraid of making mistakes that make you look bad in other people's eyes. Do you ever lie, especially little white lies? I don't know why they put, they put that in, the, in this script here, white lies. Isn't that just a lie? I think so. But you know what I mean. What about cover-ups, where you're not technically lying with your mouth, but you're just kind of covering your tracks a bit? Do you avoid people? What about um, an obsession with physical fitness, or the diets that we go on under the heading of health are just actually to try and impress others. I think I see all the time on social media, someone's on this diet or that diet and there's pictures of food up and, and okay, if that's to help other people, but sometimes you wonder, is it to impress others? When you compare yourself, so think of yourself right here now and look around the room, or don't look around the room, but when you compare yourself with other people, do you feel good about yourself because you see yourself maybe just a little bit better than them or you're measuring up? 
And one more question. Have you ever been too timid to share your faith in Christ because others might think you are irrational or foolish or afraid of their mocking? Okay, so you should have ticked or circled one or two or all. And I'm going to ask you a question now. At this stage, does anyone want to share one of those questions that they circled or ticked? I mean, Amanda just said that she used to struggle with saying no. Uh, Someone might want to just share with us something else and, and, and how you struggled with it, if it was a passing or if it's something that's current now. You don't have to be a big monologue. Keep it brief if you do. Or are you too afraid to say anything? And that can be mixed, Grace, can't it, with a, a genuine compassion to help people as well. It's a little bit of a mix there. But yeah, that, that's, a, that's a big one. Stephanie. Um, I have it um, at work, like in the film industry, if you say no too often, um, they, I've heard that they will kind of like ask you back again. So there's that stigma to like always say yes to any job. And um, yeah, so that's an instance. But it's worked out so far. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah. So you've had some breakthroughs though as well in, in saying no at times or putting some, yeah. yeah. Very good. Yeah, yeah, so that's a, a big one, isn't it? You can, it's so hostile, you could get t- torn to shreds. Or, as we, you know, we're talking about more and more about persecution, I think, in the last few weeks, is it, Christians will start losing their jobs, are losing their jobs, over making a stand on biblical truth. Not even going out to, to look for trouble, but just literally uh, making a stand on biblical truth. Yes, yeah, that's what I mean. Okay, hold, fi- hold those thoughts in your mind and, and they're things that you can reflect on later. As we go through the class, okay, we're going to have three main categories of fear of man in our minds. The first is the fear of harm. We fear being harmed. That could be a, a bully down the street. It could be a violent spouse. Uh, it could be an angry person, just an angry person. Could be sexual abuse or harassment, insults, persecution as, as we've just talked about there, racism, the list can go on. Okay, so so there, is a, there is a fear of harm and, and, and then certain fear can be good because fear can keep us safe from harm. Okay, it can, right, that clicks in, there's fear of harm so we withdraw from that, it keeps us safe from harm. But, but, but there is in that cat, three main categories of fear of man, fear of harm. The second is fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. So that's connected to comparison with others and, and then we fall short and we feel we, we compare based on social standing or career success or education or body type, whatever, even spiritual maturity. And you fear being rejected by others because you're not measuring up. We feel inadequate, worthless. And the third is fear of exposure. 
fear of exposure, fear of being reveal, revealed for who we really are. Okay? And so that can turn, uh, reveal itself in a variety of activities and attitudes. There'd be an obsession with various forms of fantasy, video games, books, role-playing, escapism, you know, food and eating disorders, those kinds of things. Uh, a, a real obsession with perfectionism. You've got to be a perfectionist because you've got to have that appearance right. Because if you don't, you're going to get exposed. A hyper-masculinity or feminism. They're the hyper-masculine man, right? He's actually fearful of being revealed for not being a biblical man. Yes. Okay. Where would um, fear of offending someone fall under? Would that be under fear of rejection? Could be. Or harm. Yeah. Could be. Yep. So are those kind of uh, exhaustive three categories that kind of everything fits under? Or are those three examples? I don't think this is exhaustive. I think they're gathering together the material in a form to teach it. You know, in the, uh, under those three main categories. So you, so you could fit that one under those categories. But, yeah, you, I'm sure you'll find something that probably doesn't quite fit the category. It's like when a preacher preaches three main points. You know, they're trying to gather that material to make... There are more points that he could make, but he's just trying to gather it together to teach it in a, in a form that's, uh, that's edible. Okay. So, three main categories. Think of those. Fear of harm, fear of rejection, fear of exposure. So that's where we're going to head in the next few weeks. So what's our plan to address all of that? Well, for the rest of the class today, we're just gonna have some basic orientation questions. Uh, who fears man? I wanna ask that question. Who fears man? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So who struggles with the fear of man? What's the answer? Everyone. Everyone. I was teaching at the men's breakfast last week and um, it was on anger. And I said, so, you know, so, some people will struggle with it more than others, but everyone has experiences anger. To say, well, I know for experience, not, you know. And I used my own example. I said, I don't feel like a, I'm particularly angry. You know, as an elder, you've got to be, have self-control and you're not you're quick to, to anger and I said, I don't feel particularly angry. I said, but after the conference two weeks ago, I'd just preached and sat under some great preaching. I was driving home and I was in the outside lane on Crowchild and some guy cut me up and I wanted to chase him down. It just came up, right? I didn't chase him down. But, but you know, and I can, I remember I've got angry with my kids when, I, when they were younger and uh, uh, and things like that. I can moan about the weather and grumble about awkward people and suddenly as I was preparing for the talk on anger which I thought was just for the other guys right I'm thinking <laughs> I got a problem but it's but the point I'm making is you know some will have a real issue with this and it's something they really need to put to death but all of us will will experience the feel fear of man to, to some degree it's a common to man temptation and some of the strongest figures in the scripture were plagued by this struggle so we'll, I'll mention one or two later. But fear of man is a universal struggle. So we need to understand that to the apparently strong people, to the apparently weak, to rich or inf influential, timid, bold, whatever. And you know what? This is why we need to understand this, because 
one of Satan's first lines of attack is to convince you that you are the only one struggling with this problem. He wants to convince you the only one. It's the same with, with all sin. He wants you to think, oh, you're the only one. Because he's what? He's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And what does the lion want? He wants you to be on your own. He wants you to see that you're, you're, you're the only one, you're lonely, and then he can pounce and get you. But the fact is, everyone in here is to some degree has struggled with this. And so therefore, that is part of the reason why we're a church. Because we get to know each other, and as we get to know each other in appropriate ways, we might divulge our particular struggles or sins, and then we, we, we get built up by one another, and others carry our burdens, and, and then we get pointed to Christ by another, and, and we overcome together. And that's why it's really important to get that out on the table early. So that really our interactions with each other and we share our sin, it actually leads us to a shared hope in Christ. It makes us humble people. We don't elevate ourselves other, over others. We seek to serve one another and not judge each other in a condemning way. Why do we fear man? That's number two there on your handout. Why do we fear man? Well, there could be many answers to that question. Um, but some categories. Here's your answer there, Katie. There could be many, many answers, but there's a few categories. Um, past experience. Past experience. Uh, past experience tells us that people can cause us harm and pain and difficulties. Life hurts. We will be rejected. We will be exposed. Uh, and so and we can fear to forgive people because we don't want to be hurt by them again. And so what we're doing is we're fearing them and not God, and we're holding on to anger because it's, it's safer for us. So past experience uh, affects us in terms of fearing man. Pride, because pride is, is at the heart of our fear of man, because pride isn't limited to the self-confident. It's also at the center of some insecurity and codependency as such. So whatever end it's on, pride bases self-worth on how you compare to others, which is ripe terrain for the fear of man. Keep comparing yourself to others is ripe terrain for the fear of man. And pride wants to make yourself seem better than others. And three, number three, we have a needs-based view of other people, a needs-based view. Key, this one. I need her love. I need his respect. I need my children's obedience. I need that person's friendship. I need a certain kind of church. I need these clothes. I need a new top. Ever said that? Ladies? Oh, look at your wardrobe. I need a new top. You don't really need it. I need this type of education. I need this kind of work. I need an understanding boss. And of course, that moves very quickly to a, a demand because I feel like I deserve it. You see that? You get careless with the word need and it's a short step towards using the word deserve. And then you want to demand it of others. So for instance, in a marriage, I need my wife's respect. 
can turn very quickly into I demand my wife's respect. And if she doesn't give me that respect, then I'm going to crush her because my need has turned into a demand because I'm, I'm needing that respect to make me feel whole, even if she should offer respect as a godly wife. Ultimately, as a Christian, you see, you have all your needs met in Christ. All your needs are met in Christ. My sins are atoned for. I'm reconciled to God. I have a Father in heaven. The Spirit indwells me. I have the hope of heaven. I have the shepherd ahead of me, next to me in dark valleys, behind me with goodness and mercy all the, all the days of my life. The second person of the Trinity is my Lord and Master. I'm yoked to him. You know, when you start dwelling on these things, if you're in Christ, you have everything. You're rich in the riches of Christ. You need nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. What's the next part of that? I shall not want, which means I, I need... I lack nothing. I lack nothing. So, this is good news, and this is why the gospel is, is the answer to, to, to all of these things and to the fear of man, as we'll see increasingly so over the next few weeks. So deal, if you want to deal with the fear of man in your heart, apart from Christ and his work on the cross and who he is for you, you may get some temporary relief, but you won't get to the heart of the problem and the, and the, the heart of the solution. So number three then, what does Scripture say about the fear of man? What does Scripture say about the fear of man? Well, it says that the fear of man originated at the fall. In Genesis 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now look what happens. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What happens at the fall? What, what, why, why, do they, why do they cover themselves? That, sorry? They were ashamed. They were ashamed. And, and then... And then what, what's, the, what's the wording in, in Genesis 2 when God brings the man to the woman, it's the first marriage, and they were naked and unashamed. So we have an unashamed... And what that, that means is that the author's trying to get across, Moses is trying to get across is there's nothing between them. It's pure and it's pure trust between them. That's what that means, naked and unashamed. Right? Sin enters and suddenly the trust is gone and there's a fear of what the other one thinks and a shame. You see how that works? So it originates at the fall. Scripture also tells us that the fear of man is short-sighted. Luke 12, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I'll show you who you should fear. Fear him who after killing, the killing of the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The fear man, that's, that's so short-sighted. That's just, 
That's just temporary and temporal. Fear the one who has the power to throw the body into hell, who has the power to save and bring you into heaven. Also, the scripture tells us, as we read at the beginning in Proverbs 29, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So if you're a man-fearer, you're always stepping into little traps and you're always going to get caught and caught up in yourself and caught up with others. And, but the one who's fearing the Lord and trusting in him, he's kept safe. It's also the opposite to love. The opposite to love. What is 1 John 4.18? There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And then it minimizes Christ. It minimizes the nature of our position in Christ. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.35 and, and 38 to 39. So it minimizes our position in Christ. And of course, the scripture is full of not just teaching about the fear of man, but these examples, and there's lots of examples, and I won't go through them all, but just to mention a couple of, uh, of examples of, of man-fearers from, from uh, believers, great believers. Abraham. Abraham. Can anyone tell me why Abraham was a man-fearer? Top of your head. We all answered at once. I couldn't. Right. What and why? Yeah. He feared that Pharaoh would kill him because of his wife's beauty, so he told a half truth as such a whole lie, a white lie, which is a lie. And Abraham was the father of a nation that would struggle with the fear of man. Okay. So this is the great Abraham. How about Peter? Peter denies Christ. Oh Lord, you know, I won't, I'll, I'll be there, I won't deny you. Little servant girl, fear of man. And he is denying Christ. Remember how Paul confronts Peter for not standing up to the Judaizers. He endorsed a legalistic behavior because he feared their opinion. And so he confused the gospel and he needed to be rebuked by Paul. This is Peter. Okay, so it's not to make you feel great about your sin. It is to let you know that we're all sinners who all struggle with this and we all need a saviour. So what fruit does the fear of man bear in our lives? What fruit? I'm going to summarise this in a, a few categories here. Discontentment. If my hope and trust is being placed in the opinions of others... I'm never going to be truly satisfied, am I? What about an unhealthy dependence on others? My orientation towards others isn't correct, therefore I'm going to need them in an unhealthy manner. 
even in a demanding manner. What about cynicism? If I value the opinions of other people more than the opinion of the Lord, I'll grow cynical as I see that other people can't bear the weight of my expectations. How about bitterness? Discontent and cynicism leads to bitterness. That deeper fear of man runs its course in my life and, and you, get, you get to just be a bitter person. And then there's lost opportunity. When we spend our time trying to avoid rejection or exposure or failure, we're going to lose the opportunities that come through obedience. We'll miss it because our energies uh, are going to be wasted on trying to avoid this and fearing that. It's, it's exhausting to be a, f a, a, a man-fearer. It's exhausting because it, it takes our concentration. It, we're always trying to put out potential fires. even relates to a little bit of what we talked about in guidance, in decision-making. And when we trust the Lord there's a, and His sovereignty, there's a certain peace that we can have and a freedom we can have in, in making our decisions. And then there's disunity. When we wrongly fear others, it leads to breakdown and harm in relationships. Disunity in marriage, at work, in the church. Or just, just think of Peter there. You know, with his fear of man. And then there's this breakdown in relationship. So Scripture says quite qu clearly, as Mark even said at the beginning, you, you cannot fear both God and man. You're going to fear one or the other. And when we fear man more than God, the impact is devastating. And these are just a few of the things, the, 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 the bad fruits that come from it. So I just want to make one clarification as we, we come to an end here. Is there such a thing as a legitimate fear of man versus a sinful fear of man? And if so, how do we distinguish between the two? I'll ask you that question. Is there a legitimate such a thing as a legitimate fear of man versus a sinful fear of man. And if there is, how would you distinguish between the two? Mark. Um, maybe this doesn't quite count, but we were just reading in uh, Romans 12 and, and he talks about making sure that you, were, uh, that you appear honorable to other people in your actions. So that's, that's not quite putting man up and making sure I mean, I guess you're still fearing God, but you're mm. being careful how you relate to other people. Yep. So you're, you're using that word fear in a, in a way of honouring others? Or, a, a, or would it be in you're fearing God because you're wanting to please God in obeying that command? Yeah, maybe I'd have to think more about yeah. whether it technically applies okay. to fear. Okay, I'll just think about it. Hands are popping up all over. Uh, Margot, you shut up first, then Jennifer. Right. Yep. Yes, you w wouldn't walk alone outside at night because there's a appropriate fear of potential danger, which is actually going to keep you potentially safe. Yes, Jennifer.
Yep. And then there was like the potential for death and and all that kind of stuff. And the church kind of went underground. Yeah. I think that was a legitimate fear in my head because they were they wanted to still send out the gospel. They wanted mm. to build the church. Mm. Right? Mm. So there was a purpose behind mm. their fear of death. Mm. It wasn't that they were they were bold mm. in other ways, mm. but they didn't Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think you're correct. I think that's that's right. And of course, there was a scattering as well. So the persecution scattered. So, so as uh, was it? Who was saying? It was uh, Shannon was saying. Uh, Shannon Hurley was saying. There's a time where you might move on, um, but there's a time where you might hide. Like Jesus slipped away a few times. Paul hid himself. You know. Um, so, so there is an appropriate fear of man and fear of danger so that keeps us safe for preserving life and, and also for gospel propagation. So, so, so definitely. What about, so, so how would you distinguish between the right fear then and, uh, 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 and then wrong fear? Right, that's a good so, discerning question. Yeah. So in both cases, you're sort of thinking over the conversation or whatever it is. Yeah. But what is my heart posture when I'm analyzing it? Yeah. Is it because I want Christ to be glorified and I care about their souls being enriched, or do I want to look good? Yeah. Did everyone hear that? Yeah. Good, good answer. Good, and a good way of discerning. Because we want to be circumspect as we examine our speech to others and our interactions because we want to grow in godliness and love for, for others. But, but yeah, I, th- I think that's a good discerning quote. Paul? Yeah, that's, that's really good. God has, God has set up authority structures and we ought to fear because when we do fear them rightly, we're fearing the Lord. So there is a right fear or reverence that a wife should have for her husband, an honour or a respect. That's what we're talking about, fear, not frightened, like, oh, he's going to do me damage. A right fear, because the Lord has structured it that way and when you do, you're actually fearing the Lord, you're honouring the Lord in doing that. So that we have guidance even in structure of, of the way that the Lord set up society in what is right, right fear. Uh, Amanda, you were going to say something? Oh, okay, there you go. Um,
Right. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can all uh, identify with that as we think of it. The, the, the fear of others, think of it like this, the fear of others begins to become sinful when it governs our lives. Think of it like that, when it governs our lives. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So when we fear the Lord most, we actually begin to act wisely and lovingly towards others. But if the fear of man governs, then we're, we're in sin territory. When we cross the line from enjoying the approval of others, because you can enjoy when someone maybe compliments you or says you know you're doing well or you please another person with what you do. But when we cross the line from just enjoying that to needing it or feeling we deserve it, then we're in trouble. That's, we've, we, the, the fear of man is governing our lives. Uh, when we uh, are so gripped by fear of being physically hurt that we're unwilling to risk physical pain in order to serve God. Okay? Now, the Christian life is not one that needlessly pursues pain, suffering, rejection, exposure. Like, you know, grace there, fear, fear of man there. We, we've all been there. And we don't share the gospel because we're fear, fearing of being rejected or exposed or abused. We don't necessarily go out looking for it, but there are times, obviously, when the Lord calls us to that and we need to fear the Lord more than man. So just that's a good way of kind of, I think, you know, we've got some questions that we can ask ourselves to discern. We've got guidance in the word of God's structures of society and relationships where he's, he says it's right to fear uh, these people. It, it, and in doing so, fearing them, respecting them, in doing so, you're fearing the Lord. But it becomes sinful, this fear of others, when it governs our lives. Okay. And then, just finally, and we'll close here, the gospel meets our fear. I mean, it's the Sunday school answer, but it's the truth. We heard from Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, consider this. You can't be condemned by the rejection of another person. You can't. Who's going to condemn you? Christ has stood for you. You're accepted because of him. The love and acceptance and covering you needed most was provided for you at just the right time when you were powerless in your sins. Without Christ, apart from a relationship with God, you can only live on this horizontal comparison level and you will always be a man-fearer. But if you're in Christ, you're free from the law of sin and death. Christ has paid the price for your sin, he's absorbed your condemnation in and of himself. And the greatest rejection 
you could ever face, the wrath of God himself, the greatest pain you could ever face, the wrath of God himself is received by Jesus in your place. The greatest shame and exposure you could imagine has already been experienced by Jesus. And what should that do? It should free you. Free you from the fear of man, that snare, that trap, that thing that gets you. It frees us not simply from fear of rejection and shame and eternal harm. It, fi- it frees us now to love. To fear and love God with all our hearts and love our neighbours and our enemies as ourselves. So gospel freedom then isn't simply freedom from condemnation. It's freedom to relationship. Do you see what I mean? It's, it, now, as we, as, as we talk about the fear of man and overcoming the fear of man, it's going to f- free you, not just of this incoming, but it's going to free you to be outgoing. You, you're, you're released. It's going to release you. If you get this cor- course, if you get this next six weeks, you're going to feel freer and you're going to feel released. And you'll become a more uh, God-fearing and person-loving Christian. Next week, we're going to begin unpacking more of what the fear of God looks like. Um, Is it you, Paul? Are you doing it next week? Yes, Pastor Paul will be doing it next week. Um, I'm going to pray. We've had a lot of questions and discussion. If you've got any more questions, you can come and and speak to me. So, Father, thank you for this morning and that rich time that we've had together, even in looking at this topic. And so I pray that you would increase in us the fear of the Lord. Uh, that uh, knowing that we fear you because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, knowing that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts uh, by the Holy Spirit, knowing we have a Father in heaven who cares for his children and who cares for us individually and corporately. May we live in in this fear and love uh, of the Lord today. May you increase that in our hearts through the preaching of the word and may you help us in these next few weeks as we go through this course uh, to be more God-fearing, God-loving Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.